You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. Real privilege to be speaking to you this morning. Vision. We're speaking about vision. We're going to look at this. George Washington Carver. Some of you may never have heard of him. He was born into slavery. He was a botanist. He was an inventor. He said this, where there is no vision, there is no hope. Where there's no vision, there's no hope. So I wonder this morning, you're coming, you think, oh, I could do with some hope. Bob Marley said something slightly different about vision. He said, life is one big road with lots of signs. So when you're riding through the ruts, don't complicate your mind. Don't bury your thoughts. Put your vision to reality. Wake up and live. So it's almost like Bob Marley saying, oh, come on. How do you get out of the rut of life? You've got to have a vision. You've got to believe for something. You've got to go for something. Winston Churchill, prime minister, politician, said this. You ask what our aim is? I can answer in one word. It is victory. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. What's vision? What is our thought of vision? I I, I could do a little hands up now, but I won't embarrass people. Many of us have got an Apple product. iPad, iPhone, laptop. Steve Jobs. One of the co-founder, chairman and CEO of Apple until his death said, if you're working on something exciting you really care about, you don't have to be pushed. The vision pulls you. I kept trying to think this morning, oh, I've got, you know, we're going to talk about vision. How are we best going to describe it? And then we're in the prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting at quarter to ten. Anyone's welcome to come and join us. And just as we're praying, somebody saw a picture. And they said, I see like little kids. And actually your vision is just when you look around, all you see is kneecaps. And I feel God, our Father, wants to pick us up and put us on his shoulders. And suddenly we get this big vision. Father, that is our prayer this morning. Our prayer this morning is in this short time we got together, that you'd lift us up and put us on your shoulders, that we'll see what you see not just for the level we see. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. If you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to it. I'm excited about this. I'm going to read a few verses from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, verse 1 to 14. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be coming up behind me. Ezekiel 37, 1 to 14. This is called the Valley of Dry Bones. The hand of the Lord was on me, And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. (laughs) You almost feel like Ezekiel is a bit like a politician, really, isn't he? I mean, he feels like he's real sat upon the fence. Is that a yes or a no? Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you. 
and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together. Bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit on you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. I find this an absolutely fascinating and exciting verse for, uh, few verses for this morning. I guess it starts off quite bleak. It starts off with this sort of picture of bones. And as I was thinking about it, you know, you suddenly think, what kind of picture has he got? Ezekiel is taken into a valley. Now, we've got to try and understand a little bit of the scripture here. We know that a valley is a low place. That is a low physical place. That would have been considered a low spiritual place. It tells us in Ezekiel 40 that when God takes him to God's place, which was Jerusalem, it's up high on the mountain. So there's something here we instantly pick up that this is not a good thing. But in the middle of this low place, it's not a lush green valley where you want to escape for a holiday. There are bones everywhere. He's right in the middle of them. He's led back and forth. I mean, this is challenging because we know that Ezekiel was a priest. And that actually, therefore, to be amongst these bones, it's almost like this would have been defiling and dirty. But it's almost like he, he can't just look at it. He can't just almost gaze there and think, oh, God, a few bones. It actually, he's traveling around them. The Living Bible talks about scattered everywhere. The message talks about a lot of bones. I was just trying to imagine it. Bones everywhere. I, I don't know. I was trying to think the best description. The only thing I could possibly think about is one year for New Year's Eve, I went up to central London. My kids were really small. Uh, it was the year 2000. There you go. It was the millennium. So I had one kid in a pushchair. One was strapped to me like this, and one was stood down the back of the pushchair. I had three kids under four, and we decided to go up to central London to celebrate New Year's Eve. Well, after all the party and all this, and they did the fireworks, it was the first time they used the London Eye. As we're walking to the train station, our buggy just pushes champagne bottles out of the way on the road. 
I mean, it's just absolutely littered. Wherever you go, it, I don't know how, you know, and it, you could almost feel that this was this scenario here. Wherever they went, bones everywhere, scattered, covered with bones. We know some more details. We know they were dry. We know they'd been there a long time. It's not some recent tragedy. It's not even like just people. It's just these bones. In fact, some of the commentators reckon that the the bones were white where they'd been scorched by the sun because they'd been there that long. It's not skeletons. It's separated bones. So I know that, you know, I just try and pick out an image to help. And then you look at it and think, it's not quite theologically right because you can see a skeleton there. But it wasn't like that. It's almost like every bone was separated. Some of you will know a song about this. Anyone dare to want to sing it with me? Them bones, them bones. That came out of this scripture. See, you never realize that. Yeah, anchor bone connected to the... Yeah, there's about two or three, you know. You know you just don't want to stand up and sing it. The thing was that these bones were completely scattered, and then when they wrote that song, it was about this. Actually, how are all these bones going to come together to form a skeleton? Why is this so tragic? I'll tell you why this is tragic. Because we know that often the dead carry disease. That's why even now when there's Ebola, they want to get these victims and they want to bury them. You see, they would have realized that something of this was something of disease. There was a picture here of disease. Maybe worse than that, there was a picture of a lack of dignity. It's funny, isn't it? Even now, if there's a, a, a ship that goes down or a plane that's lost, we want to find these people and give them a dignified burial. We often say, don't we, rest in peace. This had not happened. We, if you've read the Bible before, you might just think, oh, it's that picture. No, there was something shocking. In fact, there was, it was considered no rest. You see, if you hadn't been buried in these days, what it meant was you didn't go on to the afterlife. And so what it really meant was your suffering continued and 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 continued. Yeah, it's boring, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? But this is what it was like. It was suffering. Went on and on and on. But beyond even all of that, in the Old Testament, God says, I will judge the people, and when I judge them, their bones will be scattered, and nobody will clear them up. And so ultimately, Ezekiel is taken into this picture of the people of God, and it's a picture of judgment. It's almost like God's anger has left them judged like this. We read later on, don't we? It says that we're tired, our hope has gone. Pete, why on earth did you pick this passage <laughs> for Vision Sunday? I guess it can be a real challenge, can't it? Well, I think prophetic words like this are like mountain ranges. I think you get a range of peaks. And I think in those days, this was a word to the people that were in a difficult time. So what we know is that Ezekiel was prophesying whilst God's people were in exile. And so sometimes we talked about this. I don't know if you've seen the film recently, Exodus, Gods and Kings. We all like that Old Testament story, don't we? Moses rescues the people. God rescues the people, uses Moses, takes them across the Red Sea. We know that Joshua takes them into the Promised Land. We know that once in the Promised Land, they have these judges that, that help 
when things go wrong. We know that that doesn't last forever, and so therefore they establish kings. And many of us have heard of King David or King Solomon. Actually, we know that after King Solomon, the kingdom split into two, the north and the south. We know that actually they still went their own way, didn't obey God. And so in judgment, God sent the people into exile. He allowed like the Babylonians or the Assyrians to come and attack them and take them away. Ezekiel was written then. So what had happened is these people were in exile. In fact, they think it's the first 28 chapters, if I remember correctly, were all written before Jerusalem was destroyed. It's almost like judgment is coming, judgment is coming. So these people were in exile. They felt like they'd been judged by God. And God is saying, actually, I want you just to see what's going on. I don't know how you feel about the word church. Because I think, well, this was true of those people. I wonder what we feel about it today. I mean, let's be frank. When you've got someone like Richard leading us on that, it's amazing. I often turn up at church and think, oh, what an exciting place to be. I think, golly, these people serve us so well. People have set up this morning. You think, oh, it looks nice. I, can think, I don't think of the church like a valley of dry bones. I wonder if it really is. This could be a bit sobering, couldn't it? Europe is the most secularized continent on the planet. And that's where we live. Now, I know that statistics you always have to be very careful with, but I was reading something this week. In Sweden, they reckon that in the year 2000, 82% reckon they were affiliated with the church. By the year 2010, only 18% believed in a personal God. They reckon church attendance has gone down in Germany, in Holland, in Belgium, in France. They reckon that the Church of England in this country, if trends continued, would shrink to 4%, 4.1% of the population by the year 2020. Now, praise God, there's some very exciting things. But I think, actually, I wonder sometimes if our vision starts, with, oh, God. If you know anything about the history of this country, you know that there was many villages and towns spread all over the place, and there was two things that were right in the center, the pub and the church. It's almost like you could go somewhere and that was it. And it's almost like we have a national history, you could almost say, if the church was right in the center. Whereas now, I guess, with many debates, the church is considered irrelevant and put on the edge. Then the Lord asked Ezekiel a question. Can these bones live? He's understandably nervous. You see, I've had a chance to look at Ezekiel this week, and maybe you haven't read it recently, but actually we know that God took him to a vision in a valley earlier on in the book. It was about chapter 3. After the vision there, we don't think, many commentators, that he was able to speak for up to five years. So he gets another vision. He's probably thinking, oh, golly, I think I'm just going to keep my mouth closed. You know, let's just, I'm a bit nervous. What could happen? You see, I guess the reality is, if you saw a vision like this, you might suddenly think, in my head, I know it, but what do I really believe in my heart? It must almost feel like it was impossible, mustn't it? In 1870, the Methodist churches in Indiana, US of A, were having their annual conference. The president said, oh, we're 
exciting times. I believe this, this, and this is going to happen. I believe that people will soon fly. The bishop of the conference stood up and said, that is heretical. Only angels fly. You must recant what you've just said. The bishop goes home from this conference and says to his family, I cannot believe it. I've been at this gathering of Christians. And one of them said, yeah, one day we'll fly. His two boys, Wilbur and Orville, took a different view to Bishop Wright. And many would say the rest is history. Their father thought it would never happen. The two boys were the first ever to build a plane and to fly. I guess my challenge is, how do you respond to what could seem like an impossible situation? Are we those that would say, actually, if I look out, things could seem barren? Or do we respond with faith? You see, Ezekiel would have known the verse. Genesis 18, 14 They had uh, the old scriptures then. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Abraham and Sarah were old. He really wanted an heir. He thought it's never going to happen. What did God say? Is anything too hard? I mean, that's the beautiful truth, isn't it? We know again that that's said in Jeremiah chapter 32. Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I think the challenge was coming to Ezekiel. Do you believe in a God of the impossible? I want to ask you the question. Do you believe in a God of the impossible? I mean, really? I mean, do we honestly believe that? Do we think? I speak to myself. I, I went to church before I was born. Yeah, you know, I, I, I believe life starts at conception. For nine months, I went every week. I had no choice about it whatsoever. I'd been going to church for the 24 years ever since I was born. The danger is I could turn up and think, oh, it's just another day in church. It's just another day in church. I believe that we've come to the God of the impossible this morning. I, I don't know what your thing is. I mean, we were stirred this morning. Who knows? What could you come before God? I believe this is the question that God was saying to Ezekiel. What do you believe? Are you going to believe for the impossible? Or are you going to say we'll never fly? Do you believe God could do something like that? Jesus said, didn't he, in Luke 18, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. I want to say that one again, because if you take nothing else away from today, I'd love you to believe that. What's impossible with man is possible with God. I believe that. In fact, I'm going to get you all to say it, and you might think, oh, no, please, Pete. Yeah, we're going to be that kind of church, because when you speak it out, you might start to believe it. Come on, let's say, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, that is why Ezekiel brings this sense of hope. I mean, I find it absolutely mind-blowing, but hope starts to flow. Hope starts to flow, so he then prophesies to these bones. Now, I've got to trust doctors because, you know, I don't, I've never seen it myself. Let's be frank. I know that ears have bones, but I never knew that bones had ears. But actually, if you think about this story, he then prophesies out, and these bones are going to hear something, aren't they? 
I mean, to me, that seems ludicrous. Why on earth would you speak to bones? They're dead. But actually, if you read the book, you know that he prophesies to other things too. We know in the book of Ezekiel that he prophesies to a mountain. We know in the book of Ezekiel that he prophesies to a forest. It's like by faith, he speaks out what God has put inside of him. I think, are we good, are we good like that? Will you declare what God tells you? Will you? I think I want to be like that, don't you? I had the privilege this week of, I was going to say, meeting a new friend. This is a guy who's been involved in church ministry for decades. Uh, He's in his 60s. And, um, you know, incredible what God has done through him. And he told me that he's got cancer. And uh, he told me that the cancer, that he saw the doctor last year, and the doctor said, well, actually, we can't operate on this. We will try this new thing, but... And do you know, he said to me, he said, Pete, I read this book by a Catholic priest called Henri Nguyen. And he said, basically, the, the premise of the book is this. Will you dwell in the house of God or the house of fear? And he said, as for me, I'm choosing to dwell in the house of God. So he said, every day, every morning now, since he's found out about his cancer, he said, I get up and I rush into his presence. He said, he's got a room in the house. He just says, God, I cling to you. I'm going I'm to believe in you. I'm going to trust in you. I thought, I want that. I want to be a part of a church. Where actually, why don't we believe what God says? Why don't we believe God for something? Would I give in to fear? Or would I go for the house of God? I, I would love it to be like that. You see, this prophetic word that then comes is a reversal of the natural decay process. Basically, we know, don't we, that the, 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 the four levels come together. As a priest, he would have sacrificed. He would have known about the whole thing of cutting through these layers of skin and tendons. And so you could just say, oh, it's a, it's, it's a reversal. Actually, I would say this prophetic action was a picture of completeness. Why would I say that? Because if you read the book of Ezekiel, the number four is often used as a sign of completeness. I've never understood it. You know, why have you got this man and this eagle and this lion? And you know, Why? Because actually four was often used throughout the book as this picture of completeness. And so therefore, these four symbols that come together, it's, it's almost like the prophecy says there's going to be something here that's going to be made complete. I think that this is a supernatural, remarkable thing. The more I was thinking about it this week, the more I thought, it's a God thing, isn't it? It says there's a rattling. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I've often thought, oh, is that the bones coming together? You know, it's almost like this is rattling. You can almost imagine the, these bones getting up and, and going together. Actually, Ezekiel, in another passage, Ezekiel 3 verse 12, says that when the Spirit lifted me up, I heard a loud rumbling. I wonder if the rattling of the bones was not the bones coming together, but God moving in their midst. And I think sometimes what we tend to do is think, oh, we can make a lot of noise and maybe something will happen. Whereas actually the picture Ezekiel was saying, God comes and makes a lot of noise and then something's going to happen. And so when I look at this picture and when I think about a vision of here, I think, what could God do? The noise is the potential of God bringing together. I mean, you could say, oh, Pete, I'm getting the picture now, because he even talks about 
the four winds. It's not one wind, is it? You know, and I know that breath wind is used ten times, and, and that obviously it talks about breath, but it also talks about God. But it, you get this picture, don't you, of suddenly this amazing thing happened. Many would say that this, this breath incident was so similar to when God first created in Genesis. If you read about creation, you know that God made man, but then after he'd made man, he breathed into him. You can read about that in Genesis 2, verse 7. And there's almost this breath comes in the picture. There's this, this full life comes. In fact, we know Jesus does a very similar thing. After Jesus has been risen from the dead and he meets together with his disciples, what does it say in John 20? He breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. And so I believe this whole breath coming is something of receiving the spirit that gives us life. Hopefully we gather this picture. <gasps> you know, whoa, this breath just suddenly comes for life. Do you know that throughout the book, and to understand these sort of poetical, apocalyptic kind of prophetic books, it's so good to sort of look across the completeness of it. There have been other times when the Spirit has come upon Ezekiel. Both times he fell to his face before God, and both times God picked him up and said, I want you to go. And I think that's true for us today. I believe that we are to be a people of the Spirit because the Spirit compels us to go. We're to be those that drink of his Holy Spirit because there's something, whoa, he comes upon us so that we can then think, who can I invite to a Pizza Express evening? The Spirit, whoa, literally catches us up. The Spirit says, hey, who could you invite? Come along on an alpha course. Why, why is this? Because actually we want to be those caught up in the Holy Spirit. I believe the Spirit comes to equip us, not just to have better meetings in here, but to have better life out there by bringing life to others. I want us to be a church that are filled again and again with the Spirit of God. Why? so that we can know more power to go on mission. We've just had another 20,000 flyers printed. Why? Because we believe in flyers? No. Why? Because we believe that we're called to go. I would even challenge you. Why don't many of you take a handful, do your whole street, New Year's resolution, get it done before January. Say, look, I'm just going to go. Why? Because I'm going to pray. I'm going to take the Spirit with me. I'm going to go house after house, and I'm going to say, oh, God, would you break in on my neighborhood? I did that like even for the carols. I went around, I've got a block, seven houses, seven roads, not houses, where I'm living, think I'm going to deliver to everyone. Bless old Hazel, I know she, you know she keeps getting one because she's just around the corner for me and I keep sticking one through. She thinks, Pete, I'm already coming, but I'm going around the block saying, actually, I want them to know. I want to pray over this area. We are called to go. That's why we have community groups, because we want to gather together to go. I know you're going to say, Pete, I can't remember all these dates. I'm just inspiring you, hopefully. We're going to do a craft day for kids at Easter, Monday, Thursday, 2nd of April. Why? Because we want to go with some good news. If you think, oh, how can I get those dates? You can get it all on the church app, speak to Rachel at the end. We've invited an evangelist to come in, Adrian Holloway. Some of you would have heard of him. He's an author. He speaks right across the country. He's coming in at the end of May. Why? Because we want to be those that are caught up to go. That's why we say often as a church we don't have so many programs because we want you to be involved in the PTFA or we want you to be involved in the school because you're to go. You're to make an impact 
in the borough. Surely like Ezekiel, we want the Spirit to come upon us because we have a message of hope. This is, this is what I had, a message of hope. Some people have understood that this Ezekiel 37 is what Paul was referring to in Romans 11 when he talked about the Jews returning to God in the last days. It's almost as if they'd have been resurrected, trying to point back to here. We know that the Jews often referred to this passage themselves when looking forward to Passover. The Passover was celebrating one who delivered, one who brought liberation from bondage. Many have considered this whole passage talking about new leadership, a restored land, and rebuilding cities to be looking forward to the messianic times. In fact, as Christians, this passage is often referred to leading up to Easter in the period of Lent. And as I said to you, it was turned into a song by African slaves in America as a sense of them bones, them bones, to give us some hope. And if you read the passage, read the song even, it talks about Ezekiel connected them dry bones. Ezekiel connected them dry bones. Now hear the word of the Lord. So it's almost like in slavery, when they they felt oppressed and they felt, golly, these times are hard, it's almost remember Ezekiel. Remember the word of God. There is hope for us. I guess I do feel, and I've got to be very careful here because there's some discussion. I don't believe this is necessarily Old Testament resurrection, although it is fascinating that they start with the bones lying on the ground, and if you read from verse 11 to 14, you'd have picked up the graves opened. And some would say, oh, is that two pictures here? I don't want to get too sidetracked on that one. I do believe that actually it was very clearly a raising from the dead. And I believe the greatest tomb raider ever is not Harrison Ford. You know what I'm saying? It's Jesus Christ. He didn't go into a tomb to rob of artifacts and treasures. Jesus died on a cross for our sin. He was laid in a tomb with dry bones for our sake. He didn't go to steal those, but he comes to give us life. That's why when we're baptized, what we're saying is, I identify with this. As a church, we have a message of hope. Hope for the hopeless, freedom for the captive, life for those that are dead. Paul even writes to the church in Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I would say that Ezekiel had a vision of national revival, and I'd like to believe about that myself. I mean, his, his vision wasn't like, oh, just one or two. I mean, I love this, and golly, I have to be so careful I didn't get caught up in it. We suddenly see Ezekiel sees this vast army. Now, I know that Lord of the Rings hadn't been written at that time, but if I was trying to imagine this vast army, that is something I might have thought about. I don't know about you, I love the sort of sense of these huge numbers of troops being gathered. I loved that out of something that was almost dead and barren and history and a sense of failure and shame and guilt, now comes life. And I believe that is true for us. 
I believe that actually God is building a great army. Yeah, I mean, I sort of thought I could get carried away this morning. You know, I thought I wanted to have this huge, great sword that I was going to get. You know, I wanted to get everyone to hold a sword and go running down the congregation. Rat-a-tat-tat, you know, come on. You know, and people think a little too expressive as you are, Pete. You know what I'm saying? I try and stand here. I get excited about the army. I think, do we realize what a privilege it is to be involved in this army that God is raising up? I mean, I I think, you know, I want to see this. I said, I think there's a challenge if you live in England. Just walk around the borough. How many churches have been turned into flats? How many churches are now sort of furniture shops? It's almost like it's a philosophy, isn't it? I've met with pastors for years. And they talk about, well, I'm now overseeing two churches or three churches. Or actually, we've got a a thing that we're just going to close down a few churches. But I see the picture here of this vast army. I feel the sense of God's raising up this wonderful army. And I think we get to be a part of that. I think, why on earth are we up here? I believe we're part of the vast army. I believe it's a battalion. You know what I'm saying? I, I had all these video clips I wanted to show, you know. <laughs> you suddenly think about, well, yeah, they are Scottish. So I, I, I felt limited there. But, you know, come on, how could we possibly take this on? How could we stir people to go into battle? How could we think about some of these things? I believe God is equipping us. At this marriage day, it's, it's not just, oh, invest in your marriage. This is be part of the army. This is part of the equipping for the army. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're doing a marriage day this term. Next term, in June, we're going to do a day on money. In October, we're going to do a day on parenting. Why? Because what we're saying is, come on, this is part of equipping for the army. It, Ezekiel didn't see a book club. Look, I'm not against books. I love reading books. He didn't say, oh, well, you know, I suddenly see God brought them all together and said, sit around and read a book. He didn't say, oh, I see, I see a nice picture. So it's a very nice card-making society. Oh, let's just do something creative. No, actually, he said, I see an army. And I think this is part of what we're called to be. That's why we're encouraging people to get baptized. Why do you get baptized? Because you're putting on the armor of God. You go in public and say, I'm dying to myself. I'm living for him. I'm in the army. That's why we pray and fast. It's almost something of saying, actually, it says the army of God marches on his knees. We often think about armies that march on their stomachs, don't they? It's almost like you've got to feed an army. You've got to keep giving them supplies and they keep going. That's not true of the army of God. We come the first Wednesday of every month. We say, oh, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. Because actually that's how we connect to our commander, isn't it? How are we going to train an army? That's why we're doing a Freedom in Christ course that's starting in May. Loved it. Last week, somebody phoned me up outside the church and said, I hear you're going to do a Freedom in Christ course. Can I sign up? I thought, oh, golly, I've not even signed anyone up from the church yet. Why are we doing it? Because we want to see an army equipped. We want to see people prepared. That's why I'm thrilled that we've got Dave Devonish coming to preach in July. He is involved in seeing churches planted right across the world. I think, hey, we want to be here in that sound. I'm thrilled that we've got a guy called Andy McCulloch who planted a church into Istanbul coming to preach in July. Why? Because actually we're saying we want to be a part of the vast army around the world. We want to catch a hold of this. We want to be excited by this. That's why I love it when people serve. Because actually what they're saying is, count me in. I'm part of the army here. 
I sort of feel like, come on, let's have a rah, let's have a blowing of the trumpet. I might have finished the sermon there. Come on, who wants to go to war? That's not how the book finishes. And it would be wrong of me to finish that way. Because ultimately the vision is not about the army. The vision, well, let's go back to it. How does it start? It starts with this sentence. The hand of the Lord was upon me. I think this is talking about the glory of God. You see, this is a phrase that is used six times in the book of Ezekiel. And every time, what it is referring to is the power of God coming on somebody in such experience that they're overwhelmed with God. Now, if you then go through the vision, what do you hear? You hear this, I am going to. I will bring you back. My people will know that I am the Lord. When I open up your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you. You will know I have spoken. How does it finish? I have done it. You see, ultimately, the vision was not about the people. The vision was about God. And I love getting excited about things that I believe God is going to call us to do. And I've thrown many out this morning, find them all on church app. They're all in there. There's a diary in there for the whole year. But I tell you what I'm really excited about? The sovereign God. You see, this was a major theme that went right through the book of Ezekiel. As I said, at the beginning of the book, there was judgment. At the end of the book, there was hope. And basically, he says, look, God is sovereign. When I go into 2015, what do I want to look at? I don't want to look around at these chairs. I don't want to look around at this. I want to look at God. Because nothing is too hard with him. I would love us as a church to say, oh, it's more of God, isn't it? As I was just praying about this this morning, I thought there's two ways that I'd like to apply this. I know the band will be coming back, and we will be breaking bread in just a moment. But just before we're doing that, I felt God to say, Pete, Breathe over the church. And it's funny because I might think, oh, what if nothing's going to happen? Ezekiel just did what God told him. I believe that God wants to touch many of us afresh with the Spirit today. I couldn't believe it when Nikki had even said, and I hadn't told her this, you know, put your hands out, receive. I just felt God say, that's what we're to do. Paul wrote to the church in Ephesians 5.18. He said, don't get drunk on wine. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. I tell you, that is what we're to do this morning. I believe that as a church, we're to come and to know his breath again. And then I think the second practical thing that I'd like to bring is if you're not signed up, sign up today. If you don't serve in any way yet on this army, sign up today. You might have been coming a while and think, oh, golly, people do such a nice job. Records doing refreshments before and afterwards today. You can hang around for a cup of tea when we're done. You think, wow, what? You might think, I could do that. I'll serve, I'll sign up. You might think, oh, they sat at the back doing the pictures and that. I could help there. Hey, you might think, welcome. I so love it. Somebody just smiles. It's great to see you. Sign up today. You might just think, golly, who carries all this gear? It must be somebody bringing it here, putting it away. I could sign up today. I'd encourage you to do that. But before we do anything, if you want, why don't you stand?
Put your hands out and say, God, breathe on me afresh. Right where you are. There's nothing special about me, but there is something special about God. Father, I ask that you'd breathe over every person stood with their hands out right now in Jesus' name. I thank you that Ezekiel, he just obeyed you and you did amazing things. Father, I'm obeying you right now. I'm saying breathe. Oh, breath of God, come over every person stood now. Come fill them. Come touch them. Come overwhelm them. Oh, our vision is of a sovereign God who can do great and mighty things. We do. We come before you this morning and say, breathe all over us, God. Oh, there's nothing we want more than to know you. Some of us feel like dead bones. I was chatting to Keith this week. I know he felt God's very clearly say there's going to be some people that struggled this week. Come receive a fresh from God. We'll be breaking bread. We can pray for you. But right now, receive directly from God. Receive afresh in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, breathe over every person. Breathe over every mind. Breathe over every circumstance. Breathe over every physical ailment, I pray. Breathe over every difficulty, I pray in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come bring things together that have felt broken and separated. Relationships that have been broken with children, with parents, with brothers and sisters. Oh, with difficulties that we just feel like, oh, this has died. It feels dry. It feels sun-scorched. It feels hard. Father, I pray that you'd breathe over people this morning. In the name of Jesus. Oh, breathe over people that have... They've got hard hands because they've served you so long. I could just see, it's almost like people have got calluses on their hands and it feels like I've done this job again and again. Breathe fresh grace. Fresh grace. I've been in a small group for years, Pete. Fresh grace. Oh, Spirit of God, breathe upon us this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name. Now let's just receive from him.